Looking for Sally, Episode Four. Thou shall not. I think this time I settled the score. Hey, Lou. There's a call for you. Now? Oh, you better wipe your hands and answer that right now. It's the Boston Cops. Eight p.m. Versailles Hotel, Winchester, Indiana. The third floor corridors are unusually busy. Footsteps and voices mingle with the sound of glass bottles rolling across the floor. Just below, room 23 is in complete darkness. James lies on the floor, unable to properly comprehend the voices coming from the floor above him. He's in the moment between drunk and hungover. Still wearing the same clothes from the night before, James struggles to get up. But everything feels so distant, so far away. With a Herculean effort, he manages to push himself off the hotel room floor and crawls to the bathroom on his hands and knees. Blood and earthy smell mix with bile. His stomach burns. His head spins. He's lightheaded, as if he's drunk again. And before James can lift the toilet seat, he passes out again. What will happen to Grandma Joe now, Daddy? We're taking her to the funeral parlor. Is she going to be burnt? Cremated. It's not the same, sweetie. Come over here, little monster. Mom said she would be in a box and stay with us forever. For God's sake, I hope not. I agree she was the only acceptable human being in your mom's family, but I hope she finds the way to heaven, really. I hope so, too. So, Grace doesn't want to take the urn back to Boston. She says it's too much hassle. I'm warning you, there's no way I'm keeping this above the fireplace. So, what? Should we keep her in the trunk of the car? Charlie opens her eyes, but doesn't immediately understand what's going on. Someone knocks on the door of the room beside hers, and the voices and the steps move closer and closer. Dad? There is no answer, so Charlie gets up and opens the curtains wide. The daylight makes her squint. Her father's bed is untouched. The sheets still in place. There's a pale stream of light coming from beneath the bathroom door, and the room reeks of alcohol. Dad! Shit. 
Yuck. Dad, get up. There's cops in the hotel. Meanwhile, in Boston, Sally is still lying in her bed, going through the files that Karen sent earlier. She drew the curtains exactly like the video she's watching. You can tell us everything, Sal. You're safe here. He's not himself. Show us the scars. Sally barely recognizes herself. Pale, amorphous. She complies to Karen's requests and rolls up her sleeves to show the marks. Honey, he hurt you. You cannot stay. It's okay to ask for help. No, no, I don't want them to take Jay away from us. Sal, you must protect yourself. What about Charlie? The video stops abruptly. Sally begins to scroll frantically through her emails until she comes across a message from her husband with an attachment. Her heart skips a beat. Charlie wants to be a surgeon. I remember this one. Coming! Morning. You're alone? No, my dad's here. He's in the shower. What's going on? Just checking something. Were you in your room last night around 1 a.m.? Yes. I went to bed at 10 p.m. and my father around midnight. Good. Can I talk to your father? Sure. Dad! Good morning. What can I do for you? There's been a little incident this night. Your daughter says you were in your room before midnight. Can you confirm this? Yes, I went for drinks at around 10 o'clock in the evening and came back in the room just before midnight. Can you tell us what happened? The usual routine. A regular who just OD'd. Thank you for your cooperation. The usual routine. Nice. James waits for the footsteps to recede and collapses on the bed with a terrible headache. His thoughts are like speeding cars racing through his skull. He can't remember anything, but he knows he's been drinking far too much. And Charlie's gaze is heavy. Pack your things, we're leaving. I expected at least a thank you. I'm sorry, you're right. Thank you, Charlie. We'll stop and have coffee on our way, okay? But Charlie's eyes have stopped on the urn still attached at the bottom of the trunk. And she seems hypnotized. Scarlet snakes dance in her eyes. Charlie? Yeah, 
we'll get rid of that thing too, I promise. Charlie's heart races as she rushes inside, praying that her father hasn't noticed the streaks of blood that now cover an entire side of the box. There's a season for everything. A season for secrets and a season for truth. At the entrance to the underground city of Seattle, a man has followed Karen. A man whose will does not waver and who is determined to find the truth. Hey. What the? Who are you? I'm Mike. You may have seen me on shows like Karen is a Bitch, Leave My Buddy Jay Alone, and so on. Nice to meet you. Ugh, what do you want from me, you fucking freak? All I know is you've been feeding the police a line of bullshit. I know you tried to frame Jay. I don't know why yet, but I'm sure as hell gonna find out. What? Well, you're defending an abusive husband. You're defending a sick man. Good for you. Who are you exactly? A hooker? A scammer? Jeez, how do I stay polite? Leave me alone! Hey, I ain't done with you. You're in fucking denial, man. Your body left marks all over his wife's body. He's a fucking freak. Now get off my back! Sally is a fucking psychotic who leaves thumbtacks in the bed so he won't come near because you messed with her head. You know what, Mike? I don't give a shit. Boston cops must know about this by now. They're going to nail that lunatic and send him to prison where he belongs. And oh, fuck you. It ain't over, Karen. I'll prove them wrong. I'll prove them Jay's a good man. Back in Boston, the curtains of Sally's hotel room are now partially open. She's out of bed now and sitting at a small desk, fiddling with a pencil, trying to remember. Why can't I remember his number? What kind of wife am I? You're a wreck, Sally, and a bad guy. The worst human being I know. I've seen a car like this before. Sally feels like she's finally got something. The thread of her memory is between her fingers. So thin. So fragile. She crosses the room and digs deep into her coat pocket. The rustle of crumbled paper sounds like relief. Taco John's. 1348. It's far too much for two burritos. Please, it was nice of you to drive me that far. I'm just sorry I can go all the way to Boston. We had a nice chat. It made the time go by faster. Have you made up your mind? Are you going back to work in the garage? 
A man must earn his living. Please be safe. Don't think too much, okay? Dial. Don't think. Dial. Don't think. Please answer. The road to Pennsylvania never seems to end for James and Charlie. The teenager dozes, then opens her eyes again intermittently. The sky darkens, and soon the whole landscape seems painted black. Charlie feels weak, empty. Feeling dizzy. We're almost there. I need to eat something. My stomach's empty. Charlie, I'd really like to make it to Pennsylvania before lunch. That's another four hours. I'm starving. James glances at his daughter, who winces. She's pale. So pale. Okay, you win, evil creature. The donut store appears, just past the exit lane. James pulls into the parking lot, hands a credit card to Charlie, who sighs. Okay, but next hotel I want an indoor pool. I seriously need to let off some steam. <laughs> As you wish. Black coffee for me, please. Thank you, my daughter. Charlie pushes the bag of donuts onto the counter, almost mechanically. Just above the cash register, there's a TV set. The reporter's voice catches her attention. And Charlie looks up to see a familiar setting. Police identify two missing campers found dead at Wren Lake, Illinois. For a moment, the sounds of that night by the lake comes back to her. Sounds she had thought she was dreaming. No. <laughs> Miss? Sorry. It's dangerous to go outside these days. Oh yeah. Anything else? Charlie looks back at the TV, but it's gone to commercial. And a coffee black here we go donut I got your fave Boston cream pie no I can't eat anything crap James feels strangely nervous he sets the scalding coffee down at his feet and reaches for his phone. Hello? There is a long silence at the end of the line. An almost inaudible breath. And finally, Sally. Babe, it's me. James's face changes. Charlie notices and her heart 
begins to beat wildly. Is that mom? Honey, where are you? We're worried sick. Boston. With your sister? No, no, Grace doesn't know I'm here. It's a hotel. I'll text you the address. We're at about ten hour drive. Don't rush. I'm okay. I promise. I'll wait. I miss you. I love you. I'm sorry. I love you. Look, I, I can't talk. It's not my phone. I'll call you at the hotel. I love you. How is she? Alive. In Boston. You still want to stop for the night? Fuck. Yeah, I'm at the end of my rope. Uniontown, Pennsylvania. It's almost 10 p.m. when Charlie pushes open the door to the hotel's indoor pool. The place is overheated and the bay window steamed up. The lights of the city are only vague glimmers behind the glass. Alone, she sets down her belongings on a lounger and dives in. She swims a lap, then another. Charlie thinks back to her high school races and all those times she beat that bitch Lorraine. She swims fast, like she's racing Lorraine for the state championship again. Beneath the water surface, the voices fall silent. After a dozen or so lengths in the pool, her strength declines, and Charlie clings to the edge of the pool. Her lungs are on fire, her heart racing. That's when she feels it, like a snake wrapping around her ankle. Something is pulling her down. She grips the edge, and tries to pull herself out. But the beast is strong and pulls her back. Her fingers slip on the metal bars and tears fill her eyes. She reaches again, this time getting a firmer grasp and finally manages to pull herself out of the pool. What the fuck? Charlie looks at the water but it's still. There's no one there but her. I know you're here. A discreet murmur rises as she grabs her towel and wraps herself in it. A laugh. It's a man's voice, as real as her own sob. (laughs) Motherfucker, I know you're real. I know you did something to my family. Something unseen moves in the water, dives in. Charlie is startled. Go away! Go the fuck away!
Charlie hasn't had time to wipe away all her tears in the elevator, and she pushes open the hotel room door, still trembling. Her father is waiting there, a glass of bourbon in his hand, drunk as hell, again. Are you done already? He doesn't notice the tears on his daughter's face, and Charlie pushes past him and goes to the bathroom. James checks his phone again. No new messages. The idea of finding Sally, at last, soothes him. When Charlie reappears in her pajamas and slips under the covers without a word, James doesn't understand that nothing will ever be the same again. Tired? James gets up to tuck her in. He wants to believe that the little girl looking at him is still the same. Hey, in a few hours we'll be together. I love you, baby girl. I love you, Dad. James's consciousness sinks completely. Right beside him, the light from the lamp begins to flicker. I'm here, Jay, and I won't let you go. Memphis, Tennessee. It seems like an eternity away. In reality, it happened six years earlier. James could still feel the muggy heat and see his friend Dan's prison guard uniform too tight for his extra pounds. He had reluctantly agreed to make the trip just to see his buddy. I can't believe someone got you on a plane. Me neither. What was in that damn box? It weighed a ton. It wasn't that heavy. You just got soft, Dan. Don't tell me about it. With the baby at home, everything changed. Molly will appreciate the gift. Hey, you know what? There's an execution tomorrow in Nashville. I don't want to miss it. Why don't we go together? Before you leave? I don't know, man. Sally's not doing well lately, and I don't want to leave her with Charlie for too long. Come on. One more day and you're back home. When James enters the River Bend Maximum Security Penitentiary, he feels a strange tightness in his chest, a feeling that what he was about to see will haunt him long afterward. Families and loved ones had come in search of a conclusion, a vengeance, as they take their seats behind the glass. James can't help 
a feeling like he shouldn't be there. The guy was a good client of ours. It's like having a front row ticket to a world premiere. I'm just not as excited as you are, Dan. You'll see. Guy gives you the creeps just by looking at him. They call him the Asian. He's not even Asian. The back door is open, and a prison guard enters a small viewing area. They take him in like cattle to a slaughterhouse. Strap him in to the chair. The man was in his late 40s, but he looks much older. Broken. James never forgot that face. Here he is, Ash Stills, the beast from the east. Fifteen reported victims. Gotta give him one thing. He had the balls to choose the electric chair. But everything in him told James to leave that place and run away. His whole body clenched in a reaction of horror and defense. The guard checks the electrodes of the metal cap one last time. Then they flip the switch. Don't blink. volts of electricity surges through the prisoner's body, though the man's head was covered with a black hood. It didn't cover his screams or the violent shaking, but the worst was the smell and the smoke. James knew then something was wrong. Ash's body was still shaking with horrible tremors. Uh-oh. The blood vessels had ruptured and bled. The areas around the electrodes were singed. Oh, Lord. Wait. They got him this time. The prisoner was now quiet in the electric chair, smoking like game. James never forgot that moment. The body was still in the chair, but his eye sockets were empty. And James clung to his seat, prey to the terrible terror. Still's eyes had been knocked out of their frames and rolled across the floor, all the way to the glass that separated the room from where James was sitting. And those eyes stopped and stared at him. You. When James opens his eyes again, Charlie is standing before him in the dark. She's holding a bloody knife. Charlie, what the... The pain hits him now. There's a large, deep wound in his palm of his left hand. And Charlie is standing there with the knife, motionless as a puppet. It takes Charlie several seconds to come back and realize... The knife falls from her hand onto the carpet of the hotel room. Dad, what happened? What have I done? James comes out of the bathroom 
livid. The towel wrapped around his hand is not enough to stop the bleeding. I'll call 911. Paramedics wheeled James into the emergency room. The banner hanging above the door reads, Welcome, we're here for you. Dad, I'm so sorry. It's not your fault, Charlie. Of course it is, just like everything else. I'm the one who got us into this. What do you mean, sweetie? It's not true. James Anderson, it's your turn. As her father walks away to the emergency room, Charlie curls up in a cold sweat. Of course, it's all her fault. And she knows exactly when it started. It started as an innocent game at first. Just to see what would happen. Curiosity. And then the game became more and more addictive. Just like the flames in the fire pit that day. It all started slowly. Until the flames rose a little too high. And the smoke turned black and thick. I'd better put that out. Charlie poked at the fire pit and stirred the remains of the cat. The half-burned animal was covered in sticky ashes. Not what she expected. Ginger cats die hard. She had to act fast. The first thing she thought of was the urn. No one would dare to look inside there. She only had a few minutes to pry open the urn with the screwdriver and spill her grandmother's ashes into the fire pit. Sorry, Grandma. Then she picked up the cat's remains. She felt no guilt or revulsion. Only a tinge of fear mixed with excitement and a jolt of adrenaline through her veins. There's a time for everything. Blah, blah, blah. Goodbye, Mr. Rusty. You will be missed. The road to Boston is a long one through Pennsylvania and New York State. James finds it difficult to sit up and the sound of that thing knocking in the trunk with each bump in the road bothers him. A constant rubbing noise, followed by a little click, almost like the ticking of a clock. How long did I sleep? A little while. We passed Harrisburg. I have to stop and check out what's going on back there, though. It's been making that noise for 30 miles. Charlie's anxiety rises 
as the interstate disappears in the rear window. James drives until he finds a turnout. She watches him open the trunk. She holds her breath, and so does time. Fucking box. Charlie, I need your help. Slowly, Charlie unbuckles her belt and gets out. Let's get rid of this crap once and for all. Mom is gonna kill you. She hasn't paid attention to this stuff in ten years. James is about to throw the urn into the ditch. And it could have all ended there. But it doesn't take her long to perform the most horrifying mathematical calculation in history. The rage of her father. The lid not glued properly back on. The vessel crashes to the ground, and the lid comes off, spilling its macabre contents all over the ground. Chessmate, little Charlie. What the... James kneels down, runs a finger over the slimy, red-brown substance spewed from the urn. And then he sees... There are still shreds of flesh around the charred remains of the ginger cat's nose and on the collar on which Charlie had insisted his name was carved. James's face changes completely. Charlie. 